This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. Seven-legged aliens that experience time non-linearly. You know what's even crazier? Amy Adams wasn't even nominated for an Oscar for this movie. It's Arrival, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to the third episode of This Film is Lit. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the 2016 film Arrival, adapted from the short story... Story of Your Life. Stories of Your Life? That's the name of the book. Oh, that's the name of the collection. The, okay. Yeah, the story is just Story of Your Life. Story of Your Life. By Ted Chang. Ted Chang. So this, we saw this in theaters when it came out in 2016, and it was one of, if not my favorite film that year. Might have been my favorite. I'm trying to think what else came out that year, and I, I think it probably was my favorite. And I, you you enjoyed it, too. It's quite a really a good movie. It's a very good movie. Yeah. We just watched it again. Katie, you read the story. So Arrival, 2010, directed by Denny Villeneuve, great director. He uh, he done this, he did Enemy, he did Prisoners, he did Sicario, and he's directing Blade Runner 2049, which we will be going to see and potentially, well, it's not based on the book. We're going to do, spoilers, we're going to be doing an episode on Blade Runner slash do, Android do Android's dream of, electric. dream of Electric Sleep, at some sheep at some point. Down the road here, right around the time Blade Runner 2049 comes out, because Katie's never seen Blade Runner and that should be interesting. But, so, Denny Villanueva uh, directed this. It's adapted from the Ted Chang book by a guy named Eric Heiser, whose other biggest work was, like, he made the redo of, of uh, The Thing. He hasn't done a ton of stuff. Um, so it was interesting to see that he did this. He's also, do, he's announced as adapting or creating a new Van Helsing movie coming in a couple hmm. of years. And this was photographed, cinematographers, Bradford Young, who is an incredible cinematographer, and he is the cinematographer on the new Han Solo movie. But if you haven't seen Arrival, basically a bunch of aliens show up, the ships show up on Earth with no warning, 12 of them, all around the Earth, and and this is about the humans figure trying to figure out and communicate with them and figure out why they're there. That's basically all. That's, it's an alien movie about linguistics. Yes. It, it's, it, it's a real simple, yeah. why are they here? Let's try to talk to them. And because there's these giant spaceships and they're not doing anything, but they open up every couple hours and we can go inside. So let's figure out what's going on. And it's about that. And then it gets about some other interesting themes and topics later on. But we'll, we'll get to that as we go. So that is Arrival. Let's get in to was that in the book? was that in the book i got five questions i want to know if they're in the book this first one i'm excited for because you already said something that i cut out of the recording did the aliens look like giant squid beast things yes okay i want to read i want to hear that description this is like kind of the only potential guess who but it was not even a guess who yeah it, it would it would be very obvious yes. if I read this description Seven legs, who I was talking about. shoots ink. <laughs> hmm, Amy Adams. <laughs> it looked like a barrel suspended at the intersection of seven limbs. It was radi- radially symmetric, and any of its limbs could serve as an arm or a leg. Okay. The one Spot in front on. of me was walking around on four legs, three non-adjacent arms curled up at its sides. Seven lidless eyes ringed the top of the heptapod's Hmm. body. 
It walked back to the doorway from which it entered, made a brief sputtering sound, and returned to the center of the room, followed by another heptapod. At no point did it ever turn around. Eerie, but logical. With eyes on all sides, any direction might as well be forward. Hmm. And one other... No eyes. No eyes on them in the movie. Yeah, there are no eyes on them in the movie. Got eyes in the story. Yeah. One other little thing here... I heard a brief fluttering sound and saw a puckered orifice at the top of its body vibrate. It was talking. Hmm. Interesting. And now prior to reading this short story, I thought that my least favorite combination of words in the English language (laughs) might be either moist loaf or hernia mesh. Yes. But now I know that my least favorite combination of words in the English language is, in fact, puckered orifice. That is not a good one. That's real gross. New winner. Real gross. And they talk out of it. Yes. So they do look very, at least similar-ish. Yeah. To the description. Pretty similar. No eyes. small changes. No eyes, but they, the seven legs and, yeah, Yeah. vaguely similar. That's interesting. I kind of figured they were similar, but just wasn't sure. I didn't Mm -hmm. know kind of wondering how much they stayed to the description in the book versus did their own thing and it sounds like they stayed pretty close but got rid of the eyes i think getting rid of the eyes is a good idea yeah because of their it makes them a little more mysterious and Mm -hmm. less and i didn't read it but they're still like gray and kind of skin-ish yeah yeah sort of um not octopus looking but like they like to me they look like in the movie they look like um big hands yeah. on like on really yeah they do they fingers. do look like little hands that um walk if around. you've read Coraline they look to me like the other mother's hand crawling around yeah second one that I want to know if this was in the book how long is this book anyways roughly um, a story it's a short story roughly right, it's a short story it's in the realm of 50 60 pages give or take a little bit depending on the printing okay so it's pretty short pretty short yeah fairly short all right was this in the book? The uh, right-wing nut job conspiracy watching soldiers who decide to blow up the alien. Oh, no. Nah, I knew it. I knew that wasn't <laughs> in the book. They had to add some extra drama. I yeah. knew that wasn't in the yeah. book. I was convinced. I was like, that's not in there. That's interesting because it's a weird, that's an interesting side story. I mean, I know why they added it, kind mm-hmm. of. They don't really flesh it out a lot in the movie, but is they just it, needed that it's extra. It's a catalyst. Yeah, it's a catalyst to get to going to the end there. Yeah. But I, I had a feeling. I was like, I bet that's not in the book. Boom. Yeah. Nailed it. You know, that that part of the movie I find interesting because it's the only part of the movie that to me brings a little bit false. What do you mean? I, I just, and I don't know, but I just feel like the soldiers working on that site probably wouldn't have been allowed to oh, watch. Oh, 100%. I have that note. Um, I was 100% to watch Alex Jones <laughs> yeah. on loudspeakers in their barracks yeah. with guy talking about how, like, oh, these aliens, we gotta get them, we gotta... T-. Yeah, no, 100%, 0% chance that that their commander, whoever, would let that fly. Now, I guess maybe you can just make the argument that they, you know, they nobody knew that they were listening to this or watching sure, it. But sure. still, yeah, it's like there's if anybody heard them watching that, they would be in big trouble, I have a feeling. All right, next one. Was this in the book today? Do they call the aliens Abbott and Costello in the book? No. Do they have names? Yes, they have names. What do they names. call them? This is, this is actually one of my things that I liked better in the story. Oh, okay. We can wait then if you want to get to that later. We'll, we'll get to that. But they didn't have the same names in no, the book. No, they don't call them Abbott They don't call them Abbott or Costello. All right. So far, I've got two of those in a row that I've <laughs> corrected figured <laughs> that they changed for the movie. All right. This, and this may be, you might not know or remember this for sure, in the book... Did they, did China communicate with the heptapods via Mahjong? No. That was really weird to me. Yeah. She's like, they're using Mahjong to communicate with them. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why would they do that? I don't know exactly how, like, I would be really interested to understand how that system of communication yeah. work. Yeah. So the thing about this adaptation is that as we've said, it's a short story. Yeah, so they had to add a lot. Right. So really, what the movie is, is that it's taken the premise yeah. of this. Because the story, it is more of a premise yeah. than an actual story mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And they've 
greatly fleshed it out and expanded it. There's no, like, there's no debacle with the word weapon being mistaken. I figured that was, yeah. There's no issues with China or any other countries. Like, none of that is in it. Yeah, they had to add that that extra tension for the movie. Yeah, the movie is more more, solely, it's more plot driven. And is it probably more focused purely on, like, Amy Adams' character or. No, she's she's still the main character. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's probably more... Is it not more focused on her? Like, like in the book? Like, yeah. Like, there's less of the other stuff. Like, you know, like you said, there's not... I don't right. Know. There's not really any outside yeah. kind of conflict. Right. That, that was what I was yeah. wondering. If it, it's the, more just about her. Yeah, it's more just about her. Which, I mean, this is too, but... Uh, but I, I don't know that I would call it character-driven necessarily. No. Well, because it's not, I don't think it is care. I mean, it's, I would say it isn't character driven. It's, it's definitely a plot driven mm-hmm. movie because the, <laughs> because the character changes because of the plot, yeah. at least in the movie, if that's the way to describe, like, yeah. the, 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 this, the construction of what happens with the aliens in the language is what drives the character change, mm-hmm. at least in the movie to an extent. So where, it's almost reactionary to where it is completely plot-driven as opposed to character-driven, I would say. At least mm-hmm. that's kind of how it seemed like to me. But I mean, the short story, it's not plot-driven. It's not really character-driven. It's its more like philosophy-driven. Yeah. So all writing has a purpose, mm-hmm. usually more than one. Mm-hmm. But there's still going to be, like, one main purpose. So one of the main purposes for a major motion picture is to entertain. Yeah. One of the main purposes of a heady, speculative, sci-fi short story is to provoke thought. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what this short story is doing, and that's what the movie does. Because, like I said, like it, 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 because honestly, it is plot driven, but it's the whole point. The themes and the questions it asks are more important than the actual story. Like Mm -hmm. what? It's really just a. It's all just a contrivance to more so than a lot of movies. This is a movie that is a story contrived to make you go hmm and think about a thing rather than. Or at least to an extent, rather than tell you... I mean, it, it does tell you a very interesting story, at least in the movie. Yeah. But it's 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 not like... like So, Captain America uh, Civil War, or whatever. There are questions that you can ask when you watch that movie, you know, about things about... Um, there are questions about... Morality. Like, loyalty, and, morality. Yeah, and that sort of stuff. But they're all more sort of like side questions. The whole point yeah. of the movie is... Let's watch these superheroes be awesome and do cool superhero right. stuff and weave interesting tales. This one, it's it's reversed. It's it's let's ask this really c- central, interesting question, which in the case of this movie is, at least in my opinion, one of the central questions it, it wants you to ask and think about is if you know something has a bad outcome, if you know that life is going to end poorly, is it still worth living? Mm-hmm. And the question or the movie's answer is probably yes. But they kind of give you both sides a little bit because um, getting into it, Jeremy Renner's character decides no, kind yeah. of, basically. Yeah. So that's like the main question is, is, is what is it about life that, that makes life worthwhile? And if you know it ends, something's going to end poorly, can it still be worthwhile, basically? Right. Kind of. That's one of the questions. I mean, there's other other things. but So yeah, that's like the central thing. And this is all kind of just... A way to, to make you think about that question to illustrate that right. question. Right. Yeah. the The movie definitely focuses on those big questions. The story, even more so. Even more so. Yeah. It's it's less about aliens are here and what are we going to do about it, and more a think piece about free will and predestination. Yeah. Yeah. Which they don't quite quite get into as much in the movie. It doesn't yeah. feel as much like free will. Predeterminism or determinism mm-hmm. types of stuff as much to me. It's more of a in the movie. It's more of a a question about what it means to live, kind of, or like what is it? What is the point of living? Kind no, of. No, I agree. Where they don't really touch on so much as like they don't really. I mean, they, there is implications on free will, kind of, with mm-hmm. this, but they don't really like. That's not like at the forefront of what the movie is trying to get across. The movie is just trying to make you cry. I mean, not really, but, which I did in the theaters when we saw it the first yes, time. Yes, you did. Um, 
All right, let's go on to the next one. That's my last one, actually. Is there... Well, because you said China isn't really even in the thing. No. So is there a a solution? Okay, so I guess this is it, then. Does she call somebody? And is there the whole thing with they need their 12 pieces? I assume that's probably some... No. no. Wow. She basically just, like, learns the language and that sort of thing. Right. She figures out how to communicate with them. And at the end of the story, they basically just leave. And that's where it stops. Do they? We, we don't ever know why, they, why were they were there in the first place. So there's never the scene of, in 3,000 years, we're going to need your help? No. So we're coming here to help you now? Okay, interesting. I kind of figured a lot of that was all added on. I, yeah. like, the, like I said, the thing with the China and all that and her calling. and the main, my, my initial one was there was this, like, this big chase scene where she calls China. and Not chase scene, but like this big dramatic moment where she's like, you know, last minute calling China to, and I figured that was added, but I thought that was still an element. I figured there might still be an element of, because the other, the other uh, big theme of this movie, one of the other big themes, which sounds like isn't as much so in the book, if at all, is the fact that, because it's all about communication, mm-hmm. and, and the idea that when people don't communicate, that's when shit, or, or when, you know, when we don't communicate, that's when things go poorly. Yeah. And that's what, obviously, I mean, it's about as obvious it gets is that shit starts hitting the fan when all the countries stop talking to each other. And the thing that saves the day and fixes it is literally a phone call, a conversation between two people. So conversation and, and humanity working together is the other big sort mm-hmm. of, which is often a sci-fi theme, at least, you know, some of some sci-fi. The the power of humanity when we work together and what we're able to accomplish and, and doing that through conversation and actually talking to one another is, and it's a big theme in here. So it sounds like that's probably not. Yeah, that's really not in the book. really present in the story. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, that's all I had for is that in the book because, and I figured most of them weren't because <laughs> not there's it's only fifty pages or what yeah. have you. So that makes sense. Let's move on to Lost. An adaptation. Now this could be tough because some of these things I might ask you probably aren't in the book. Yeah. Now that I think about it. So, well, I guarantee, actually I guarantee all these aren't in the book. This is going to be rough. Is it all about China? No. (laughs) No. But I bet, I mean, I'm just thinking now they look at, because I know, I mean, I should have known ahead of time with it being a short story that, I mean, it kind of did, but... Okay, well, I'm just going to go through it, and then you can be like, yeah, it's not in the book at all. Okay. In the book, does she... So, in the beginning of the movie, there's the scene where she finds out her daughter is sick and has, cancer, you know, mm-hmm. rare disease, and she, like, breaks down and starts crying. Mm-hmm. Now, is, the, is there a scene like that in the book early mm-hmm. on or anything no, like that? No, sort of, but no, because okay. they changed the way that her daughter dies oh, okay. for the movie. Interesting. Okay, well, because my question was, and we can just discuss it then in terms mm-hmm. of the movie and what you think, is why does she break down like that? Because her reaction in that one moment, it was so, it's like somebody who doesn't know that it's going right. to, but she knows it's going to happen. Well, and so my only thought was that she, there, the littlest part of her was still hoping that, or something, that it wasn't going to happen, or I don't know. I think... Even when you know yeah. it's going to happen, it still hurts. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's still going to get an emotional reaction yeah. from you. Yeah, well, and, and, and actually now that I think about it even more so, it's not so much that she she, yeah, she knew it was going to happen. The thing that hits her is that this is when it happens. It's right now. This right. Is, this yeah. is it. Yeah, I mean... I and mean, that I can totally yeah. get. If you, and if you think about it, people die unexpectedly. I mean, I mean, people die completely expectedly all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, yes, that's true. Yeah. It was just something about her reaction in that moment. It, it almost came across as an unexpected, like, she mm-hmm. didn't see it coming. But I, I think thinking back on it. Now, this is one thing I wrote down, and I said it in the intro, that it's a goddamn crime that she wasn't nominated right. for Academy yeah. Award for this movie. Yeah. Rewatching it, I mean, I thought she was amazing the first time, but rewatching it, those opening scenes with her... When you know the, what's happening, that mm-hmm. that's that she knows, like this is all, you know what I mean? Where there's a, it's like one of the first shots in the movie, 
where she's sitting there in bed with her daughter before, like when her daughter's a little girl and that her, the way she handles that scene, you can see, and you don't even know it unless you know the outcome, but you can see the pain, but you never notice that unless you like until the second time you watch it and realize what's going on. And And it was, God, it was so good. I, I, I don't have any problem buying her breaking down like that. Um, and I think, you know, from a practical standpoint, the movie spends part of it kind of leading us astray, leading us to believe that everything with her daughter has already happened. Oh, that's interesting. And so is- that that's and that's why she seems like she's kind of in a funk. Yeah. For most right. of the movie. Right. Do they not we play have- it that way in the book? Because that's a pretty central thing to the story, I feel like. I mean, like. they kind of do, but, like, reading it gives it away. Yeah. Because of, like, verb tense shift yeah. and things uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a little more obvious, I think, when you're reading right. it than when you're viewing it. Well, that's one way it works so brilliantly in the yeah. movie, because you have... Yeah, the first time you have no idea. I remember no. watching it the first time. And I, yeah, yeah, I was convinced that that had all already happened until a couple scenes later on where you start to piece it together. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember the one in particular was where she says, where she asks her mom, "What's the thing where two sides, uh, a, 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 something between two sides where neither mm-hmm. side loses or whatever?" And she's like, "No, no, no it's a scientific name." And she says, "I don't know. Call your dad uh, yeah. about that." And at this point, we don't know. And I'm like. Hmm. I remember being in the theater being like, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and that scene actually is in the story. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, it's a lot shorter. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's there. Okay. Well, then this is, I guarantee this isn't in the book. Do they, okay. Well, first I'll preface with this. Do they, um, is there another, when, when the, uh, the army comes and picks her up, that might not even happen. They might just start, I fucking... I don't even know what I'm trying to ask. This is bad. All these, all these things now. I just like. I'm sure they're just not in the book. So there's no. Maybe we can just explain this to me because I still the second time I still didn't understand it. When she says when they come to get her, they're like she's they're like going and she doesn't want to go at first and they go to the Berkeley guy and she says something like ask them what the Sanskrit word for war is and what its translation is. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they she they show back up at her place and he, and she, he she says what did he say it was meant. And he says one thing, and then she says, like, uh, it means a dispute over goats or something like that. I don't understand what they asked her. And Like I said, this I'm sure this isn't in the book. So I no, thought maybe if it was in the book and you read it, that it would make more sense to me. <laughs> it's not in the story, but... Did I, he just get it wrong? Like, Well, I guess, I mean, maybe the idea was that her answer is a better answer or maybe the correct answer like you said i guess it was just weird because i was like did he know the answer why would the berkeley guy not know the answer that seems like a very easy i don't know i maybe somebody who's let watch this movie and under explain that scene to me because i don't i've seen it twice now and both times afterwards i'm like am i stupid i don't get the interaction here of like, did the guy at Berkeley get it wrong? How would the guy at Berkeley get it wrong? He would know the Sanskrit translation for war. I feel like that's a pretty easy, like, anyways, I, that's a little thing. It's just, I, I didn't get it again. And I was like, man, I hope this is in the book so you can <laughs> like clarify <laughs> what the fuck this means. Cause I don't get it. I, like I like I said, I, I guess I get it. I assume it's just like the guy at Berkeley got it wrong. And that, but that's it. It just seems weird to me the way they play it out. This I'm rambling. This is stupid. all right. In the book, does she have like a, a nerves thing, like her handshake? Is that just in the movie? No, that's in the movie. Okay, because I was wondering, and I remember that the first time being like, "Is this gonna be a thing? Is this gonna mean something?" It doesn't actually mean. She's just nervous, I guess. It's yeah. just illustrating her nerves. Yeah. Okay, but they linger on it twice, and normally in that kind of thing, that that means something. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. normally, it's more than just. Because they both times it's her right hand, you know, and it's not just like, oh, one time she's like really nervous and sweating and the other time her hand's shaking. And it's like both times they just single in on their right hand and it's shaking. And I'm like, what? Maybe it's just that they're trying to show her humanity. Yeah. In those moments. I The other thing I could think is that maybe it, because I was trying to think if there's, after and I was thinking about it now, I'm trying to think if there's anything later in the movie that happens that is specifically related to her right hand and and somehow that and you know because the whole mm-hmm. time like that something that happened later affected her 
was affecting her already, kind of, or something. You know what I mean? And I couldn't yeah. think of anything. I mean, she puts her, I think she puts her right hand on the glass when she goes yeah. up and introduces herself. But I don't know if that would mean anything. I don't know. It was just something that that I, because like I said, it's one thing to show her being nervous. It's another thing to super focus in on the same right, right. hand shaking both times. I felt like. I mean, but, maybe, and maybe it's just to emphasize that when she does find her confidence in the situation yeah. and in what she's doing. She finds it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, and now this is getting more into the sci-fi question. These aren't these aren't even lost in adaptations right now. They kind of are, but they're more of like let's try to figure this out. Is there a re- and now I guess the idea is that it's because until she learns it, it can't. It's like that's like when she learns the language is like a point, mm-hmm. and from there she can think of things non because it it confuses me on a. On a logic, on like a, a on a, a philosophical level of how, if she learns the language in the future, and can then, rem- like, experience all time at once, kind of, or experience mm-hmm. the future, wouldn't she already know the language before she even, like, wouldn't she? Because if she learns it in the future. Couldn't she go back? Wouldn't her oh, past self know stories. the? Yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> I was like, wouldn't her past self then know it? Kind of. They do say that Louise experiences her life and her memories non-linearly from the moment that she learns the language up until her death, but nothing before the moment where she finally learns the language. So that's a slight clarification from the book. But then I guess that's that's the that's the problem with with. Yeah. This isn't a time travel movie, but it kind but, of is. Yeah. And that's the problem with time travel is like when you start thinking about it, it starts to get a little wibbly wobbly, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Uh, coming off that, so she writes a book about how to speak this language, mm-hmm. and this is just a separate thing. This isn't even lost adaptation. Maybe this isn't. Is that does that happen in the oh, book? No. no. Okay. So she writes a book about how to learn how to read this language, mm-hmm. which means pretty much anybody, all humans could learn the language feasibly yeah and all of humanity could be living atemporally and like know the future that sounds messy yeah that's what i mean what kind of <laughs> fucking havoc would that wreak if all of humanity was existing in a state where they knew the future but then if everybody does if everybody sees, not knows the future but can experience his time non-linearly maybe that like balances out to where yeah, it was very confusing to me. I'm like, when you write a book where everybody can, learn, it'd be one thing if just her knew, like just mm-hmm. her did had that. But once everybody starts doing it, things get really weird. I feel like things get really tricky. Maybe not. I don't know. I'd be interested to see like a sequel. I don't want to see a sequel. Uh, dear God, I don't want to <laughs> see a sequel. But I'm saying it could be interesting. I would be interested to hear what the author thought or his explanation would be for what happened. Like in the, when they're at the the uh, the the gala, like eighteen months later, and a bunch of people know the language now. Does like just a bunch of humanity experiences time in a nonlinear fashion, and thus kind of knows the future? Kind of, it's weird. I as a very weird. Yeah, it's it's a strange concept, and like we said, like a time travel yeah. story. As soon as you start to really try to parse it out, yeah. It starts to crumble, and this is yeah, and this is where I was talking about where you kind of have to ignore that because that the 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 whole point of all the time travel and the and the wibbly wobbly and the she she's experiencing time non linearly is to to show to have ask the audience a question and to make us think about a thing and not and the thing we're thinking about isn't well how does this work how does this time thing work it's about what. What do, what do I value in life? What what is like that's the important question, yeah. not how does how's well I don't know if you knew the future, but then in the past you would know already that you from the future learned the like like yeah that's not the point. This is my last lost adaptation, and I just wonder what you think about it now. So for some reason, why do you think when she's goes so at the end of the movie she mm-hmm. has to call China mm-hmm. to to get them to share information with them so that everybody can share all their info and piece it all together. And basically it's like the Rosetta. They have to piece together the 12 pieces of the Rosetta stone for the language, essentially, right. even though she's already speaking it by that point, but whatever. So she calls 
the uh, the Chinese general or whatever. And then it's cutting between her on the phone with him, telling her this thing, telling him this thing, mm-hmm. and her in the future, eighteen months from now, talking having a conversation, talking to him, yeah. where he tells her what she what told she told him. him. Now, but here's the thing that's weird to me: why is she surprised by what? So when she, when he's telling her, like, yeah, she's like, it's like she's never heard this before. But would she would have already have heard this? It's the only time in the movie where this happens, where she doesn't seem to know. Like, this is something that happened in her past, uh-huh. kind of technically, but somehow she doesn't know it in the future until he tells her, and then she. Okay, is... so my initial thought. <laughs> we going we going in the weeds, boys. <laughs> um, was that maybe she like wasn't expecting him to tell her like maybe she didn't know when he was gonna right and this is the moment and she's like holy cow this is but we see her remembering it Mm -hmm. and if she's experiencing time non-linearly she should know that he's gonna tell her i don't know i know (laughs) i know know. it gets so (laughs) muddy when you start asking all those questions i know i'm just like i was going off in the weeds on it this time i was like oh Wait, how, why is she? Oh no! Okay, I gotta stop thinking about that <laughs> stuff and just cry because she loves her daughter so much. It's time for better in the book. What's better in the book, Katie? What's better in the book? So, don't know if it's necessarily better or worse. It's kind of. It's just a difference that I want to bring up because I think it's an interesting change um, when you take something from a short story into a movie. But the alien, like, the sounds that they make yeah. are, like, way more sinister sounding in the movie, in the movie yeah. than they're described in the book. Like, movie language kind of sounds like really ominous mechanical sea creatures. Yeah. It's like whale noises Whales and like and weird clicking, clicking yeah. and like alien, like yeah. standard alien noises. Yeah, pretty. But it kind of sounds alien. like it's underwater and yeah. it's weird and yeah. echoey. Yeah, um, well, because that chamber they're in is like yeah, kind of watery, but not. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of like this weird aquatic, <laughs> white fancy mist, aliens, mm-hmm. space dust. So the language in the book is described more as like a fluttering sound that could be creepy too yeah i know i agree it's like a yeah it's like a soft yeah. fluttering yeah. bird wings or something which actually does bring me to something that i liked more in the short story which okay. is the names of the aliens oh yes that's right we hit that we put a pen in this earlier yes um so in the movie they call them abbott and costello and in the book they call them flapper and raspberry <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> Flapper and raspberry yeah, is one of them they, like because they make like it's like oh, noises, and then the other one, yeah, like yeah, the fluttery they, like, flutter and they make yeah. Wow. Flapper and raspberry. Flapper and raspberry. And that's I fun. Just enjoy those names so much more because they're so ridiculous. Yeah, and they're like cute sounding. Yeah, flapper and raspberry. Oh my goodness, that's like something you would call your cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, here's a question: Does one of them die in the? No. Ah, uh, yeah, that whole thing doesn't happen. No, so I didn't know if something happen. else happened to it. Yeah, I, I get why they changed it, mainly because yeah. they don't make those sounds. Yeah, so that makes sense. They can't call them that because they don't sound like that. So, anything else better in the book? One thing that I'm a little torn on because I liked it in the story a little better, I think, but then there are a lot of other, like issues attached to that Mm -hmm. so we kind of touched on this before but in the movie they show her um being nervous and like kind of having some almost like a the beginnings of like a mental breakdown yeah she's definitely got some anxiety going on shaking and having like nightmares and stuff yeah and none of that is in the story well she's not having night well she's having yeah i guess she she kind of does that one time a nightmare that one time it's not even so much a nightmare but kind of yeah it's a weird dream where the aliens in the room with her and yeah yeah anyways i thought it was creepy well it's creepy to us (laughs) because it's so sudden but i don't think it would be like because she doesn't view them as yeah. Scary, so to her it wouldn't be 
right. a nightmare per um, se. It's just a weird dream. Well, then, like, the first time she goes up in the ship, she, like, kind of starts hyperventilating. Yeah, 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 because really... she's in an alien yeah. ship. <laughs> right. So none of that is in the story. She's pretty, like, stoic and badass uh-huh. in the story. And on the one hand, I kind of like that. Yeah interpretation of it i kind of like how it doesn't really feed into that stereotype of women freak out easily right but on the other hand i think it's realistic yeah that's it's super (laughs) realistic and it's not just her jeremy renner throws up after he gets out you know what i mean like like and they they had to they cart a guy out Mm -hmm. who could and they and they specifically say well you're doing better than the last guy did yeah. Um, and, and I think it's completely realistic right. it's, because they're in an yeah. alien's fucking spaceship. It's completely realistic and also from a practical standpoint, again, they're leading us to believe that she's still grappling with the death of her daughter. That and too, yeah. And she's probably depressed. That too. And, but the, and also, it gives her, uh, it, it's a good character, slight character development for mm-hmm. her when she finally has that moment. Because it's the build up to that moment when she takes the space or not the space suit, but the, 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 hazmat, the hazmat suit, suit off. Yeah. yeah, you know that's a slight. You know, it's a small character, right? Where she, where her, her desire to do this to learn more her fear. Yeah. yeah, and it's a big character moment for her. No, I agree, and it's it's not necessarily something that I like better in one or the other. It's just something I feel a little torn about. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and it's interesting. I say. Because so people taking their hazmat slash spacesuits off at stupid times is one of the worst things to me in movies. If <laughs> it's Prometheus, but in this one, I think it's it's so it, it like this one I could see because I was like thinking like okay, so why isn't it like so in Prometheus it pissed me off so much because they land on the planet and with that they check and they go the air's breathable and then they immediately pop all their helmets off. They don't check if there's pathogens. They don't mm-hmm. know anything about anything else that's going on. They just know that the atmosphere is roughly the same as Earth. So it's breathable, but they have no idea what else is down there. And they always like pop their helmets off. And I was like, fuck, okay. But in this one, so I was like, why is this one not bother me when she like, because it's, it serves the purpose of the plot. Right. In a, in a way that makes sense. And in this situation, it actually doesn't matter. Like she, she if, even if she were to get sick or get something that mm-hmm. was going to kill her in, at some point, this is kind of more important. Not more important, yeah. but like she makes that 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 wager. She goes in her head and goes, "Okay, yeah, yeah this is got to do this." Like she, this is yeah. She weighs it out and decides. Yeah, it's not a. It's not a. No, oh, we'll be fine. Fuck it. Like she doesn't just. Oh, you know, if she walked in right away and she's like, "Oh, it seems nice in here. Why are we wearing these stupid things?" That would be stupid. Right. But this is a calculated moment where she makes a a decision and weighs the consequences and goes, "You know mm-hmm. what? We got to do this." And it, I might die. That's a thing in her head, probably. But she's like, "This. We have to do this." So that's why that's better. It's one of the many reasons that their arrival is slightly better than Prometheus. Just slightly? By slightly, I mean, it's, oh my god. <laughs> this is the anti-Prometheus. <laughs> Alright, is there anything else that's better in the book? I don't think so. Okay. It's almost like comparing apples and oranges. I could. I had a feeling when we were, as I was watching this, and I was thinking, you know, this is one of those ones where it's, this story screamed for a visual medium. and yes. and, and And it... And the way they do it, especially the way the story is told, when you were describing how, like, you can kind of tell when things are in the past and the things with her daughter, mm-hmm. and that that was dying to be put on screen, oh, where you're able to guide your audience down the path you want to without giving anything away until you want to, and then have those powerful moments later in the film that fucking knock the wind out of you, like, what? in the movie some specific things so the movie like we were just saying visual medium Mm -hmm. and they really go all in in making the alien ships alien yes oh that's interesting was there a description of the alien ships in the movie or in the book that you remember is it is it vague like they're just Um, big or something so the story 
what the story describes is basically her workspace where she interacts with them. Mm -hmm. And she describes it as being like a giant looking glass, like a big mirror. It's kind of how it is. Which is kind of what we get, but they don't like go up inside Hmm. something. It's it's there, and I kind of prefer the way yeah. it's done in the movie, yeah. and it, it's, you know, it's creepy. Well, it's creepy, and you get that great, open, or that opening sequence, but that great sequence where they first get up into it, and mm-hmm. the gravity shifts, and and it gives you, that it puts you on edge completely immediately, because it could not be more alien and more yeah. weird. And then it also gives you that great moment of visual symmetry between the opening shot of the film... Mm-hmm. which pans down the ceiling of her house to her big bay windows in front of the the yeah. lake that she lives yeah. on. And the exact same shot happens numerous times down the ceiling of the spaceship down to the big white mm-hmm. looking glass that they communicate through. And they use that similar uh, visual numerous times throughout the film. The other thing they do visually that I thought was really interesting is that especially early. Mm-hmm. So time is, is circular in this film. The... Their language is circular. I assume it's similar in the book. Uh, probably the description of how the language looks is similar-ish. It's similar-ish, yeah. yeah. So it's rings, it's circular. When she begins to experience time non-linearly, it's not that she's experiencing it circularly, but uh, the, the, the implication of the language and that sort of thing is that there's no beginning, there's no end. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. circular. and But there's a lot of very uh, striking circular imagery very early in the film that then it echoes throughout with the language and that sort of thing. But there's the shot right when her daughter dies where she's walking down that hospital hall and it's a constantly curving mm-hmm. circular hospital hall, which how many circular hospital <laughs> hallways have you yeah. ever seen? Yeah. Very never. I don't know if I like, they're always straight. I mean, they're always straight. Mm-hmm. And this one is a It's a circular hospital hall. The auditorium that she, or the lecture hall that she, teaches in has all of these semicircular desks going up and there's a and then the, the way the ships are designed obviously have that that very striking curve to them and there's a lot of circular imagery that yeah. they punctuate through the movie and especially the one that hit me the most was that shot of her walking down the hallway that's and it's like a it's a dolly and continuously curving shot down the hallway it was really interesting one of the things the you can do with a visual medium thing about the language too um it's described as looking kind of similar not exactly the the story describes it more as almost like circular like lattice work and whereas in the in the movie it looks almost like ink blots yeah it is like because they because they're kind of squiddy so yeah inky yeah but one of the interesting things in the story is that it's the language itself that kind of gives her her first clue about how they experience time. They do that in the movie, don't they? Well, because, I mean, specifically because, like, the way that their grammar works, the language, it's so complex, and the way that they would have to write it, they would have to know, like, exactly where they were going before they even started. Yeah, they say that in the movie. Yeah, remember they say they say that in the movie. They say because it's it's since it's the circular language, he says it's like if you were writing Jeremy Renner says this, I think. He says it's like if you were writing with both hands towards the middle and he says you would have to know where you were going before you started. Okay, yeah. And then, so yeah, they do explain or they do yeah, and that's their that, first thing they Yeah, that's her first big kind of aha moment. Yeah, they translate that translates in the movie. It's during his big monologue, I think, like in the middle where they kinda have that time. Uh-huh jump where they've been there for a month or whatever oh, yeah. and he's going through and he's talking and i think one of the things he says is he explains that their their language is it's circular in the state mm-hmm. it's not temporal basically oh. which is why you get the my favorite sentence <laughs> uh abbott is death sentence or death sequence <laughs> abbott is death sequence <laughs> it's a great sentence Oh, it's so funny. Sad, I know it is sad, though. It's so sad. What else is better in the movie? They changed Jeremy Renner's character's name. What's his, his name? His name is Ian in the movie. In the book, it's Gary. Way better name. I Gary's know. a gross name. <laughs> Ian yeah. is a like a world's better <laughs> name than Gary. Yes. Sorry, any Garys yeah. that may be out there listening. I mean, Gary's fine, but Ian's a much better name. Jeremy Renner would not, it wouldn't be able, if every time Jeremy Renner was on screen, he was like, my name's Gary. I'd be like, no, it's not Jeremy Renner. Look at you. Your name's not Gary. Oh 
Maybe Jeremy Renner insisted that they change. Yeah, it. he probably he was. The script and was like, mm-hmm. I'm, "You're not going to call me Gary. I'm not going to sit here and 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 do lines to Amy Adams and have her call me Gary. I can't. My ego can't handle that. <laughs> I can't look at Amy Adams in the face and have her call me Gary. Um, what else? The way that her daughter dies. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you said that um, was different. Right. You? She has a, a rare disease in the movie. In the movie, and she dies like. In her teens, it's yeah, like late teens, yeah. mid teens, yeah. But she's still a kid, yeah. So in the book, she dies in like her mid twenties in a tragic mountain climbing accident. Hmm. She like falls off the face of a cliff. Wow. What's well, interesting because that actually has some implications to it uh, on the morality of the decision Amy Adams makes to me. I feel like. Oh, Maybe. that's a good point. You I know what I mean? There is yeah. there's some different implications there of her dying in the peak of her life doing something she loves versus slowly sickly in a bed in a hospital. True. I think there's an I think there could be you could argue that in the book it makes it, Amy Adams's choice more defensible. Not that it's not defensible and to begin with, but I think mm-hmm. I mean, I think you could argue it's different. I don't know. I could go both ways on it. But I also want to add here that in the book, since they touch more on determinism, they don't really play the choice that Louise makes in the movie as much of a choice in the book. It comes across as more of what she does because since she experiences time nonlinearly, she is now in a deterministic setting. I don't know for lack of a better word, but basically it's not played as a choice in the book. So it's not, it's not looked at as a moral decision one way or the other, where I feel like in the movie, that's kind of the angle they're going for because they drop all of the determinism and that sort of thing, at least all the overt determinism discussions that take place in the book. So just wanted to add that in here because we didn't touch on it too much. I think if it's something like that, like you described from the book, that it's more defensible than getting than than knowing that she's gonna die slowly and painfully of a disease. Maybe I don't know. There, I, I could I could see how you could uh, make the, the argument that subjecting your future daughter to the pain of a slow, mm-hmm. sick death mm-hmm. is 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 much at least if nothing else less moral than than, <laughs> than uh, her falling off a cliff and probably dying instantly like and yeah. healthy like apart you know what i mean yeah i don't know yeah that's a good point i was thinking like the movie way she dies is a, maybe a little more tragic yeah i i'd say it is it definitely yeah. is which is kind of my yeah um, to my point of it, it i think it affects wonder, the morality of amy's decision why they made amy's that decision movie. maybe to try to make it a little more well, it's also sadder. Yeah. It makes for more because yeah. she can sit there. That you can do have the shots of Amy Adams sitting there. Whereas like otherwise, hospital bed how does she She gets a phone call like your daughter died. You know what um, I mean? Like, Well, I mean, in the book, it's her identifying the body. Okay. Well, yeah, that would be. But still, it's even that being said, you know, are they going to show a whole thing of her right. daughter falling off? Like, it yeah. would just be weird. Like, the the sick in the hospital bed's way easier. Makes and and it, yeah. and it, and, it, and it's and it puts it real close to Amy Adams, and it makes it it's more affecting on her. Well, I don't want to say it's more affecting, but it's more affecting on us at least. Right? I think, as well, an audience. I think I think it would be because she's there for the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also that's the other thing, though, is it also to go back to the morality thing. It's it puts more on her shoulders. Yeah. To to have to go through all of that with her daughter, like that's more. So not only like her her daughter's got to go through it, which a tougher time, which she takes into account, but she also has to go through it. Whereas if it's just her daughter falls off a cliff one day when she's twenty five, it's not like Amy Adams is like in the hospital for weeks with her. Like that's true. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. watching her daughter slowly deteriorate. So yeah, I, I totally get why they changed it. Totally makes yeah works better. I think really struck me when we started watching the movie. That if you've already seen it, or if you have read the story, how much those first few lines of voiceover... Oh, like give, give away life. the entire story? <laughs> yeah. Right, we were, oh, we were we watching it, and I was like, wait, oh, 
Really? That's they they the said ending. that in the yeah. very beginning of the movie? <laughs> was I an idiot that I didn't notice that? Yeah, I thought the exact same thing. It's funny. Well, do you, I don't remember what the lines were now. But yeah, I thought the exact thing. It's like the first opening three lines she says yeah, or something she's, like that. Like she says something about time not being linear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know. specifically. I know, I know. And for some reason, and it's not like just us. Like nobody... Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, you just don't even... Because you don't know... I, as long Because they did a good job in the movie, of, or in the trailers and everything, I'm not spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have no idea what the what the twist is. Like, But, but yeah, they totally... She just says it in the beginning of the movie. And I was sitting here today, I was like, well, son of a bitch! <laughs> I feel stupid. more specific things about the story, but I do want to talk about Ted Chang okay. for a minute, because this guy is a beast. Yeah? Well, he's won a bunch of awards, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's very decorated. But, like, the sheer amount of research yeah. that he had to have done just to write this one short story, 50-page short story. is fucking dizzying. Yeah. He's discussing linguistics and physics and mathematics and he not only has to sound fluent in all of those languages he has to sound like a goddamn expert yeah like he has a phd in all of those things because all of these characters do yeah yeah well you know what that reminds me of it's and and this would be an interesting uh role reversal one uh is the martian because i read the Mm -hmm. martian you have not read it Mm-mm. So, but the, he did the same thing in The Martian where he had to do a ton of research yeah. about f- physics and he'd like, but he's like the same thing where he like, he like for fun, like cal- calculates like, uh, tra- like uh, orbital trajectories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Cause it's just the kind no, of people they are. And it's, yeah, the it's same incredible. Thing. And it's not like in a movie where you can call in expert consultants. Like no. he did all of that mm-hmm. on his own. Mm-hmm. By himself. Yeah, well, he's a really smart guy. He got a degree in, like, computer... Yeah, he's got a degree in computer science yeah. from Brown University. Yeah, so he's... So he's, he's Ivy League. Yeah. He's, he's a smart <laughs> he's dude. He's no dummy. He's a smart dude. <laughs> yeah. But still, like, that's incredible. Yeah. This guy, according to his Wikipedia page, turned down a Hugo nomination for another of his short stories... Because he didn't think the story was as good as it could have been. Oh my god. A Hugo Award, in case you don't know, is one of the most prestigious awards in the sci-fi fantasy genre. He basically turned down the sci-fi version of a Pulitzer. Yeah. Don't mind me. I'm just turning down Lifetime Achievement Awards because it could have been better. Jesus. Like, what are you about, <laughs> Well, he Ted? has... Doesn't he also have another couple Hugos yeah, or something? Yeah, he's, like, he's got a couple. So it's not like... It's not like there it's was his only chance still. at it. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Actually, I'm going to read this one. I uh, think you should. We've I decided this is... Really I'm going like to read it. this one. I'll be interested to see what I think of it. I like the, uh, the those kind of authors that do that with their work. Uh, something I, Like I said, with The Martian, which I really enjoyed, which was written by Andy Weir. I really like those where the authors do a deep dive and mm-hmm. really know the topic. and Because it, it just flushes out the story and makes it that much more, especially with sci-fi. Yeah. It yeah. makes it that much more believable. It's like the opposite of Stephanie Meyer when she writes sci-fi, <laughs> where everything's just silver. Science babble. It's just words and then everything's chrome. Well, I don't know if that's how it is in the books, but that's how I mean, it is in her stupid movie. You know, you're not far off from Twilight there, though. It's just words and everything sparkles. Yeah, yeah. It's just how she... It's the same thing with, uh, with uh, the host. It's just... You know what? We'll get there. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. Oh, I had a couple things I wanted to talk about in the movie. Just a couple little things that I noticed that I thought were interesting. The one, I'm really interested to see what Bradford Young, the guy who was a cinematographer for this movie, does with Han Solo because he... Mm-hmm. It's just, this is such a distinct visual style and it works so well for this movie, but yeah. I can't see it working for Han Solo. It's going to have to be very different because it's so dark and so natural and so almost looks like a documentary to an extent. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's filmed like a movie, but like the lighting, it's like almost all, it seems, at least looks like almost all natural lighting yeah. to where there's lots of dark, lots of, you know, there are a lot of scenes where people's faces are not well lit and it's, you know, it's they're in 
camp they're in the base camp and stuff so it's really interesting he's got it's very distinct visual style it's gorgeous i forgot how completely gorgeous this movie is but one of the little things that i liked that i noticed that was really interesting that opening or that scene when she first gets to base camp Mm -hmm. it's such a it was such a smart decision probably by either him or the director or whoever to have the camera follow her right behind her as she follows them and winds through that base camp because the way the camera moves and and the and the way it's lit it really uh sells you how overwhelmed and like not yeah. overwhelmed but how overwhelming this whole situation is where it's like this maze that they're winding through and you're getting disoriented by cuz the camera keeps turning every time they turn in a hallway and it's it's moving kind of quick and there's like you can't even take in everything you're seeing and i you i was like exactly felt what I imagined the her character would be feeling in that mm-hmm. moment of just overwhelming, like, wait, what was that? What was, where are we going? What? Whoa, whoa! Now we're going over here, and I, I, what was that over there? Like, amazing, just perfect, the perfect way to shoot that scene when they enter that base camp the first time, or when they're going through the inside of it. And uh, some not something I really noticed or stuck out to me the first time, but when this time watching it, you know, it's like, oof. yeah, it's really it's nice cool. when when film can do that. Yeah, when it can make when it can feel, really make you feel yeah. like what that. And, you know, I probably noticed it the first time, but I was so caught up in the moment feeling that that mm-hmm. I wasn't able to re- re- divorce <laughs> myself from it and realize that that's what was happening. But, uh, yeah, it's and there's a lot there's lots of things throughout that. Movie. Like the, the scene, another similar one, that scene where they and, and you feel I felt it in my stomach this time, even when that elevator goes up the first time they're going in and it hits the top and they all bounce like six inches into the air i could like feel it the butterflies (laughs) in my stomach when that happens like in the same way where it's just like the way they shot that and the way it happens in the sound when they hit there it's like whoo oh god like like we flying now zit which one's better the book or the film said earlier it it is kind of apples and oranges and it, it's hard to really say one is definitively better than the other because they're setting out to do very different things yeah oh i mean pretty different things for me i think the film edges out the short story a little just because it is a bigger world And they're able to give it, to me, they're able to give the things that are happening a little bit more meaning Mm -hmm. than we see in the short story. Yeah, and the the other thing that I think, and so that we're chalking another one up for the movie, for film, but I think another big thing that helps, the score in this movie is phenomenal. Yes. And that, that, that having that score throughout is so impacts the way the movie affects you and the things you're seeing affect you that I imagine if you were just reading it with that score on would probably even <laughs> like yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. would add to it that much so that even something as simple as that not simple it's a fucking score it's like half the movie but <laughs> I, I think having that and, and 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 it's such a visually breathtaking movie that it becomes such a such an experience right that it would be hard to capture that in a book no like, the same way like we said it it really is a story that screams for a visual medium. Yeah. And I think that visual medium helps it edge out the story a little bit. Cool. That's going to do it for this episode of This Film is Lit. That was our discussion of the 2016 film Arrival based on the short story, Story of Your Life, by Ted Chang. Check it out, read it, let us know what you thought of the book or of the movie. You can do that by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisfilmislit. Give us a like and a follow. We post fun uh, articles. Uh, we'll let you know what movies we're, slash books we're going to be doing next. We'll let you guys eventually, once we get more people on there, just say what you were more interested in seeing us do so that we can kind of do what you guys want to hear. We'll consider your suggestions. Consider suggestions. I mean, we have a giant list already of yes. things we want to do. Uh, so the odds are if there's something, and I, I don't want to say odds are, but we have a giant list. Right. Uh, so it's, <laughs> we're going to, we'll get there probably. And but. eventually too, 
if we start doing stuff that has multiple film versions, yeah, I would like to hear what version people yeah. would like to hear us talk about. Yes, because there's lots of lots of novels, uh, especially older novels, mm-hmm. obviously that have five different yeah. adaptations, and we, we're not going to do all five. So <laughs> we'll let you guys kind of point us towards one, and then we'll talk about that one. If you would help us out a lot, if you could go to our iTunes or our Stitcher, either one or both. Give us a five-star rating and write a little review. really helps out Gus getting recommended and going up the recommendation chart in iTunes and on Stitcher and that sort of thing. So if you could do that for us, we would love you forever. For our next episode, we will be talking about The Wizard of Oz. That's right. The classic. Yes, it's based on a book. Duh, everybody knows that one. That one's not a surprise. Join us down the yellow brick road next time. Goodness, you. I did it. (laughs) I did the thing. You did the thing. Thank you for once again listening to This Film is Lit.